This week's episode of the Afros and Knives podcast honors author and Nobel Prize winner Toni Morrison, who said, if there's a book that you want to read, but it hasn't been written yet, you must be the one to write it. I am your host, Chef Tiffany, and this week's conversation is with Chef Q, founder of the underground dinner experience Ghetto Sesame Street. We talk about beginnings, falling in love with culinary arts, and how food informs family relationships. The Afros and Knives podcast series is 100% listener supported. We love our community of listeners. To continue to see this podcast series grow, it needs your financial support. We want to add a video series and continue to shine a spotlight on all that is brilliant and Black all over the world. Consider making a pledge or becoming a patron of the Afros and Knives content today. Your generosity is deeply appreciated. Visit www.afrosandknives.com to make a pledge of financial support today. And thank you. My name is Chef Q. Ibrahim. I am a chef, educator, and farmer. I think uh, my journey has been a journey. It all started when I was about probably nine or ten years old. And it's kind of Actually, it's totally different from a Lifetime movie. So what I would say is it basically started in a Hillel poetry shop, which was my abos, my father's. Um, He had a poetry shop. We slaughtered chickens and geese and rabbits. And when we would close in the afternoon, he would package things and we would actually go to restaurants like through the back door so we were actually delivering uh, fresh poetry to restaurants Uh, some of the restaurants we would go to were French restaurants and Chinese restaurants uh, uh, Middle Eastern restaurants Japanese restaurants so I think my first intake or my very first time hearing the sounds of the kitchen or smelling the smells of the kitchen was walking through those back doors and it seemed as though we were always doing this during Ramadan when it was like really our really heavy season. So it was like no eating, always smelling. And I was really young and just hearing like meat cleavers and seeing the, the fast pacedness, it was so dope. So I think it really started there, but I had no idea what the journey was going to become. And then around 12, my mom and I moved to another state and every two weeks, my mom would take me to a restaurant and it would be a different restaurant. I think we started like with Greek restaurants. Then we did Italian restaurants. We did a lot of Greek. Uh, Four times a year, we would go to Canada to this little French restaurant and it was like a a little bitty tiny house. So I had this uh, experience, like my first experiences with fine dining, where it was like I was being taught etiquette. Like I was, the jewels were being dropped by my mom. Like you're gonna put your napkin on your lap. You're going to do this. You're going to eat with the outside fork first, and then we'll go closer to the plate. So I think my experiences really started there. And then as I got older, um, my very first restaurant working in, I was right out of high school in those Greek restaurants, one of the Greek restaurants that we used to go to all the time. That was my first job, but it was actually in front of the house. I moved into the kitchen. Uh, From there, I left. And it's funny because I actually started working for Saks Fifth Avenue. But when I was working for Saks Fifth Avenue, I was doing a personal wardrobe. And during that time, I just really realized the differential between the wealth and America. It was like my check was like 201 after taxes and I couldn't buy a T-shirt. But I was robing some of the dopest people in the community, like ball players and people that were in media. And I was laying out $20,000 wardrobes. And I was like, wow. Hmm. 
I can really cook. So I had this idea. I actually met uh, Greg Mathis's wife at the time. I didn't know who she was, but I asked her, you know, where she ate. And she told me she had a business that was 24 hours. And I was like, oh, what kind of food do you like? And it was soul food. Uh, I met a lot of clientele that liked a lot of different food. And I was kind of well-versed in it. So what I actually did was I started a business where I was hustling out of the house, kind of like Trap Kitchen, but this was a really long time ago. And I was doing like food in these boxes, styrofoam boxes, but it was beautiful presentation because I had been to a lot of restaurants and I knew how visually it should look, but I could cook. So that's kind of where it started. Um, and the name of my company, <laughs> the name of my company at the time was Smackin' Mamas. Because if you're black, you have heard it when somebody say, girl, that food is so good, make you want to smack your mama. <laughs> so I kind of got a, <laughs> you know, it's a, I kind of got a reputation and I would walk different places or go in the mall and I would be in the grocery store and the older women would be like, hey, smack your mama. Hey, smack your mama. What's up? So what I did was um, there weren't like I was young, 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 teenage young. Um, and at this time, there was we were, we were coming into the cell cell phone era, but I was doing stuff by like fax machines, uh, doing flyers, and I would deliver to like triple A. I hired two of my guy friends, and they would deliver pickups. So we were delivering like thirty, forty meals a day. Uh, well, not actually not a day to different businesses. So we would do like triple A Chrysler. I actually started delivering to Saks Fifth Avenue. And uh, that's where it started. That's where that love of just cooking started. But I knew it was not going to, that was not going to be it. It was just kind of my first taste of entrepreneurship. So how did you end up doing the underground dinners? Okay, so we're going to go through this journey for a second then. (laughs) No worry. So so, um, I worked in a a lot of restaurants. Um, I did front of the house. I did back of the house. I worked for... Spanish restaurants. I worked for Greek, Italian. Um, during this time, I was kind of like, you know, Robin Hood and everything, pen and pad and everything. Like one of the things that I learned as a server, you would have these three, four week trainings and you would have to know everything on the menu. So I was the type of person that would make index cards and study. On the flip side of that, I would go home and cook the same dishes. So that's kind of how that started. Um, I was studying magazines and newspapers and Finally, I was working in a restaurant where there was an older black chef and he worked at one of the top restaurants in the city. And he was like, you asked so many questions. Why do you ask so many questions? Because I was like, I want to be where you are. And one day he was like, I'm going to take you to my place. And when he told me that he actually worked there, I did not believe him. Uh, probably someone with an older man with a little bit of a substance abuse problem. I was like, he's just talking. But he met me on a Wednesday and he took me there. And that's when I found out. I found out about stodging before actually working in kitchens. So I worked over there for a week. And after that, it was the love bug. It was over with. I was like, how do I do this? What do I need to do? So I started working in kitchens and I lived a lot of different places. Like I lived in Atlanta. I lived in Michigan. I lived in Chicago. I lived in Windsor. And every time I would go somewhere, the quickest way to get money is in a kitchen. So it was always going to be a job no matter where I went. So um, I studied under a lot of different chefs. And I was just honing my skills, you know, everything from short order cooks, from breakfast to being on the line to moving to Chicago 
And when I moved to Chicago, uh, I had not realized I was actually working in a restaurant and I got a book that was autographed. Actually, he sent me two books autographed by uh, Charlie Trotter. And brother had a girlfriend, knew the sommelier. They kept going back and forth to uh, wineries and they were at dinner one night. They went to Trotter's and he was like, hey, come out to Chicago, come work for me. And I was like, no way, you know, like, no way. Uh, I came out to Chicago. I waited. I actually waited two years because I was just I wasn't ready. Um, you know, it was something something to be a little braggadocious about. And I was ego tripping at that time, but I wasn't ready for the real journey. I didn't know what I was going to do. I thought I was going to be a rapper, you know, but um, <laughs> I just kept going. And, <laughs> and uh, two years later, I came out to Chicago. Um, I never did get to link with Charlie Trotter, but I did. Uh, it was really hard trying to get into the industry because I kept telling people, I'm going to Chicago. I'm going to like the restaurant capital of America. I'm about to go ham on everybody. This is about to be it. What I didn't know was I was a black girl, you know, um, and you don't know it until you're walking indoors and you have a resume and people are like nothing. Uh, and this is the change of the era when you're, you're walking in those doors and with, within a year, they're no more, they're no more walk-ins. It's like basically send a resume. And uh, it was really painful because what I started to see was I'm sending my resume and my whole name is Arabic. And I think you will learn that headhunters, you know, they identify with themselves. And it was kind of like I wasn't getting any callbacks. I was getting nothing. And at this time, I had to sit down with my family. I was like, I'm going to change my name because I can't get a job. So what actually happened, I started working in soup kitchens because I just had to cook. And uh, it was crazy. I worked in a soup kitchen one day. Someone told me about, uh, they were like, man, you fly. Like I was doing like real food in the kitchen, making it super pretty. And they were like, oh, I know a guy that knows a guy. And they were on the board of an organization and they knew some chefs. And I ended up, uh, the journey ended up being um, applying for an apprenticeship with the Food Network. And I applied twice. Nothing happened. I applied third time and that was it. And basically what I needed was uh, my resume was nothing. I needed a support system, someone that could speak on my work ethic and uh, someone that could say, hey, she's going to do this. She's going to show up, you know, she's going to kill it. She's going to show up 30 minutes early. And they kind of had my back like the Verizon man. And uh, from there, it was a wrap. It was uh, it was over. So, so with the um, with the Food Network, uh becoming like part of your journey what was your what was your work there and how did that kind of did that okay so it was was you already on a path and like the food network just kind of fit into the plan no so it wasn't the actual food network it was a food network chef so say bobby flay comes out with an apprenticeship program and you get into his program so it was a training program so when I got into this, I got a chance to work with this person who did have, have a show on the Food Network. And it was real. Like, it was real. Like, yes, chef, no chef. This is what you're going to do. Don't speak when I'm speaking. What the chef mean? It means chief. And it was it was that kind of element. But it was exactly where I needed to be. I showed up 45 minutes every day. Uh, within that time, I was there for three weeks. And he started putting me onto his uh, his circle. And I started doing catering jobs and events uh, for his company. And that kind of worked for me. And when I finished, the first thing I did was go to the top restaurant, what I thought was the top restaurant 
in Chicago. And most of my friends and family said, oh, you're like a glutton for punishment. Why would you do that? You're not even ready for that. I didn't want anything else. I saw it. I was like, I'm out. This is what I want to do. And I went and I went to Stodge. And my Stodge was like 13 hours. And at the end of the night, the chef was like, we want to bring you upstairs for a second. Come upstairs. It was like three in the morning after cleaning everything and pulling the ovens apart. And uh, she offered me a job that night or that morning. And this was a place I wanted to go so so badly. I used to drive past there. Like I would just drive past, like, I'm going to apply today. No, nah, I'll do it tomorrow. I'm going to apply today. No, nah, I'll do it tomorrow. So it was, uh, it was the beginning. It gave me a chance to see how a kitchen that was very small, but it was all molecular gastronomy. And within the time that I was there, it became a Michelin star restaurant. The chef was a female, very quiet, very focused. The team didn't talk. Uh, it was like being under that lamp. They call it like baby Alinea. And uh, that's where it started, where I was like, oh, I love this. Oh, I'm in the garden. Oh, I'm picking flowers. It was dope. Was that your first, was that a kind of the beginning of your connection to like that um, farm to fork or farm to table uh, conversation? Had you been, you know, working in that space? Because listening to the, you know, the fact that you were so close um, to where your food came from as you grew up, like being able to like, you know, be a part of a family that uh, fabricates animals for consumption and like knowing that, you know, the source of of your food is that close to you. Is that kind of like the the, the restaurant? Was that your first kind of, I guess, foray into connecting the farm to a bigger picture at that point? It was where it was actually tangible. Uh, What I will say, and uh, I know I probably skipped through, but I'm going to take it back. Uh, Not only my father had a Hillel poetry shop, Eastern Market, which is America's largest farmer's market. He also had a farm. And well, now it's actually in the same place where the the same city, well, if you want to call it a city, that the Walking Dead is shot. So we actually had a farm. I mean, we had a home. We had mosques. We had schools. It was a whole community there. So we actually had corn and soybeans and vegetables. So it kind of started there, but I wasn't able to connect the dots or really identify. When I got in that kitchen, it was like that kind of eureka moment where everything felt safe and familiar. I was like, oh, I know this. So that, yeah, that was it. So with your, and I've kind of been rooting through, of course, like all your social media and, you know, some of your, um, some of the events you've done and it kind of fell into a, as I'm a huge proponent for especially young people understanding where their food comes from and learning how sacred of a job it is to feed people. Um, and like seeing that you, you do some work with farms and some, you know, some farmers and organizations. And I just was interested in like how you fell into that or not even fell into how did, did was that intentional? Um, was, were those relationships that you had planned on developing later on, or was there just, the, there was a moment in your journey that says, you know what, this is important right now. And the going to put some energy on it well um all of that and and probably above uh if you if you notice my logo i actually designed my logo before it all i didn't know how it was going to happen but i know so it was three sisters on there with an afro they're all me the first part of it is education the middle part is me holding the knife and then the second part is me holding the 
the farm water. So um, that logo was actually designed and I knew that I wanted three parts of my brand. So through that, I, I actually started with the education first because uh, after I left the, the Michelin star restaurant, I became, uh, well, there I, I was like chef de cuisine. I went into an executive sous chef position. Then I went into an executive chef position, corporate chef. And from there, I actually went to ser- social services and I started working with at-risk youth in the kitchen and training ki- uh, kids in the kitchen. Well, they were actually 14 to 25 and I was teaching them not just cooking, but life skills, um, how to show up, how to interview, uh, how to do a resume, what should you wear, how to wash dishes, you know, really life skills, something that uh, we're probably lacking a lot of in America where people don't know how to turn on the oven. So that was the education side. Uh, when I started there, one of the first things that I wanted to do was get raised beds. I wanted to start growing because, you know, the farming can be therapeutic. And I was like, most of what they call at risk um, have been through traumatic situations. So it was really nice in the morning to be able to go outside, plant something, grow it, and say, hey, go, let's go get tomatoes or let's go out here and get some deal for a garnish. So that started there. And from that, when I left, I left uh, corporate and I left social services and I started my business, which is the underground. And that's uh, something that I really wanted to incorporate into it. So I knew there were some partnerships uh, that I needed to form to make that happen. Okay. And so you're based out of Chicago at this point? Yes. Okay. And so the, what, what local, um, I guess, what local farm organizations or farmers are you currently working with? What kind of uh, projects do you guys get into? Or are they just essentially uh, suppliers for the, the dinners? No. So um, I work with, uh, now I'm at a point where I actually run a farm. Um, it's called Foster Street Urban Agriculture Program. So I'm actually teaching youth how to grow. Um, I, I joined the board, which I'm now the president of, and we deal with food insecurity. So we go to areas that are food deserts. And we, what we did was we focused on one area and we actually built a garden. Uh, the year after that, I was kind of like, what more can we do? Because it was basically a community garden. So now that second year, it was like, hmm, I should write a curriculum. Let's actually turn this into a program and see what else we can do. So uh, some of my board, we sat down and we added entrepreneurial skills. We added life skills. We added how do we talk about giving back to the community? We started providing for a food pantry that was local. and we also hooked up with the mayor's summer youth program. So the, I think the module was kind of like, we're going to hire teenagers and we're going to teach them how to farm. We're going to teach them how to mentor. We're going to start talking to them about entrepreneurship and they're going to mentor the little kids. So if you haven't seen me on as much on the underground, I took the summer off to focus on that. Okay. And for the, for the program in and of itself, and I, what I'm loving is the fact that there's always this bridge between food 
and the rest of it like that's it's always a catalyst or a trigger and i find Absolutely. like it's such a gateway to draw people into a conversation um about personal growth and um honing a skill and creating a bigger space for themselves in life um so with the with the now that you've added this um employment component essentially you're talking about a, a group of young people who typically are overlooked when it comes to quality employment opportunities, things that actually will teach you a skill and offer you um, some self-confidence to go into the rest of the world. Um, what does the, your, is this your first class of students that are kind of like of young people that are coming through this program? Is this the first summer you guys have actually run it this way? Um, and are you going to just kind of continue to grow it throughout the school year? Or do you see that scaling back a little bit? So uh, for the fall, it's it's a, actually a summer program, and last year was kind of like a pilot. So last year uh, was the let's try this and see how it goes. Uh, a lot of mistakes were made, the most beautiful mistakes you can ever make. Uh, and then after that, it was like, let's do a debriefing ceremony because we're going to need it. We've been working with teenagers, and then we've been working with uh, third to like sixth graders. And then in the wintertime, it was like, how do we do this better? Uh, what parts do we need to cross out? What angles do we need to, to capture and keep? So this year, um, it ran through the summer. Um, it will not be fall because we're on raised beds, so it's not indoor. We don't have hoop houses. We'll see what happens with funding. We've uh, solidified some, some grants, and a lot of it has been our board doing stuff out of our pocket. Uh, but we did get a grant last year, and we got an even a, a bigger grant this year, which was a blessing. Uh, so that's what we're doing, and it will come to an end. And then we'll see what's next, because we may be spreading out a little more next year. Okay. Now, the, the, the young people that came through the your pilot and then the ones who've come through this summer, um, what do have they stayed in touch? Are they, are you, I'm sure they're still connected um, to the organization somehow. So you guys can kind of keep up with their growth and their progress. What have you kind of seen come from, from the experience? Like, you know, the, 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 there's always that before and after, and, you know, like, have you seen any, seen the growth in them and what does that start? What is that starting to look like for themselves and for their families and for their communities? I think one of the, one of the greatest things that I've seen is just their ability to communicate. Um, there's there's so many uh, kids who you sit down and talk to them and they won't even make eye contact. So a lot of it was uh, speaking and communication and being able to say, "Hey, this is how we did this. What did we do? How did we use the soil? Why are we not killing bugs?" Um, the teenagers are, because some of the teenagers are involved in so many different programs. Last year, we did not really keep in touch. And we had actually three teenagers that were in last year. So they, were, they went off to college. But this year, uh, we've worked really close with the teenagers and really formed some great bonds. The little kids, now they can speak so beautifully and eloquently about programming. Um, last week, we actually took produce and we, we did the farmer's market, which is downtown. And I mean, we could literally step back and they could run the show. So we practiced everything from marketing, what are our social media has, hashtags, what are our, what's our handling, um, 
we did change. How do we count change with the third graders? Um, what's our product? What are we selling? How do we harvest this? How do we cultivate it? So uh, there's, there's been tremendous growth in, in nine weeks. Have you seen any participation from parents? I know when I had, uh, I managed a, a kitchen during um, the summer in Philadelphia for the veteran organization. And we would, they had a, a garden on the premises. And so that, that gave me a really great opportunity to spend some time with the young people who were, who were coming to camp every single day and like talk to them about what was on their plate. And we would kind of talk about the menu and, and we'd have classes for their parents. Once a week, and we'd either walk through a cooking demonstration, or we would just, you know, for me, I, they were, I, I was in my community at that point, so I knew exactly right. who I was talking to, and it wasn't, you know, a lot of times you end up with <laughs> community level food programs created by people who have no idea what the community knows yep. or who the community is. And so there's a lot of times where someone will ask me to participate in something or teach a class or create um, a curriculum for a group of people. And I just, my first question always is, well, what do they already know? Because what I'm not going to do is walk in and insult them and insult their intelligence and tell them something they already know to do, or they're already currently doing with their family. And you know, because of that attitude, I found it was a richer experience when you go in and you respect the the, now, the knowledge and wisdom already coming out of that community and tailoring your, your message and your teaching to what they know and how they can grow from where they are. And so, you know, what was great was that, you know, the parents would come into class and they would have, they, they already had a feeling like, okay, they're going to teach us something. We already know how to do. Yes, my kids eat vegetables. No, we are not giving them a bunch of sugar. Like, you could already yeah. tell it was there. Yes. I was like, oh, Lord, okay. And I, it, for me, I knew what I was, my plan was. And so it was like, we'll see how they, how this goes. And so most times I would just introduce introduce some concepts at the top of class and that the whole room would just light up. It was just like, okay, this lady is sitting here. She won't talk to us about how to make, you know, things we've never cooked before and talk to us about our, our roots and our history and how important it is for us to eat things that come from the culture, essentially to eat things that come from the places of our origin. And so that lit the room up quite a bit. And I noticed that parents were more engaged at that point because it was like, there was, it was a long time. People were like, yeah, we never really get parents to come out to these things. And I was like, well, that's because you don't respect who they are and what they already know. You assume you coming in here with this information they don't have already. I'm like, just because you don't see a grocery store in a neighborhood does not mean there are communities out here who don't know what a vegetable looks like. You know, like North Philly, there's food deserts everywhere, but there are also a tremendous number of urban farms in those same right. communities. And so you have a group of, you know, community of people who are fighting back with that information as well. So for you, like, have you seen um, more engagement from the community or from the parents because you are introducing these concepts and, and these ideas and skills to their children? I will say last year was a really tough year. And uh, just honestly, I was truly disappointed. Um, as far as uh, the group that I'm a part of and the board that I'm a part of, I am the only black person. I'm the youngest person on the board. Uh, everyone is a little older. Um, it's kind of like that movie where it's like you have one side of town that's here, kind of like halves, and then you have another side on the other side, and they kind of don't cross that bridge. So I think a part of it for me was really kind of getting in the middle and facilitating 
and talking to the people on my team where we need to do this and we need to put emphasis on this. And then on the other side where it was like, okay, we need to, we need to grow squash, butternut squash. I need to have a few more raised beds for collard greens. Um, one of the things that I'm, I'm really big on is cultural awareness. So we have uh, some Filipino students. We have uh, some Vietnamese, uh, high African-American and, and uh, Latino, um, Hispanic demographic. So uh, one of the things that I do a lot of is we do cook. So we I do a lot of street food and it's really empowering and people tend to engage where it's like, Hey, you know what? Today we're going to talk about street food and why it is. And so many countries, this is their nighttime thing because they may not have refrigeration or they may not have a stove because it's so hot and everyone goes out at nighttime and in the community they're building and they're talking to each other and anybody know what street food is? And then some people are like, oh, my uncle has a cart here or my uncle has a cart there or my family has a food truck. And if I'm doing elotes, then it's like this beautiful demonstration of proudness that these four kids over here that know everything about it. And then these other nine kids may not know, but then they're all sitting there taking big bites and smiling. So that's really good. As far as uh, parents this year, it has been amazing. Last year, I was really disappointed in participation. Like we do farmer's markets. We do a farm to fork fundraiser dinner where I actually execute everything and I pick straight from the garden. I touch some local farmers that are around to ask for anything that we may not have or have enough of. Last year, the kids didn't help. This year, I actually set it up where they came in and they helped prep. So everybody kind of played a role. And that was really good because the parents did become engaged. We did the farmer's market last week. I had parents that came and hung out all day. So it was really beautiful to see. It's, it's amazing how, like, especially if the, like the, when you started sharing your story and how important food is in the structure of a family and how it's one of those key things that gets overlooked I mean, I don't know, maybe it's not overlooked. Maybe it's a, a strategic move on on behalf of certain organizations and like government structures to eliminate that part of the conversation for families in underserved communities because they know how vital it is that food is a part of family life. And that's where you really build relationships is around the table or around the activity of cooking and procuring food. And I'm, I'm so in, it's something that's always fascinated me. Like every time I do become part of a, a program that um, essentially teaches young people a cooking skill um, or teaches them anything about, you know, being connected to their food in a specific type of way, how, how that motivates the entire family all over again. And how all of us, there was a, we had a, a contest one summer for camp where they wanted the families of the campers to make lasagna together as a family. Oh, nice. And it was essentially, they would give them the right, they gave them the recipe and they wanted everyone to make the same recipe. And I was just like, I'm going to just call it on this and do what yeah. I want. And so I, instead, I looked at the, the, the request and I was just like, this is just, this, this kind of speaks, it speaks down to this community of people. Like they're extreme, they're extremely intelligent. They are 
very tuned in to like what they're putting in their bodies and just this is not going to work. So instead, I tweaked the contest and I told them to make me a lasagna that represents their family, that represents their family. And so the day, the day that they needed to come in, we had a, our two, our two chefs, um, our, both of our executive chefs and the, and, uh, Mark Betry, who was the owner of the restaurant group at the time, they both came in to judge the contest and they did not know I had switched up a couple of the rules. Right. So they were expecting that's, that's to come it right in, there. Thank you. taste a couple of the same lasagnas, judge, give out a couple of prizes and go home. And I was like, Ooh, about that. Um, no, that's not, that's not, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I we that one up. Well, yeah, I'm like, oh, that's we, we tried again. Um, so I, I had to first convince them this was a better idea. I was like, all right, no, just believe me on this one. Initially, that first idea when it was presented to the entire community, no one was having it. They were like, no, nah, I'm okay, I'm not going to do this. The minute I gave them license to represent themselves and express themselves in that lasagna, then we were on. And so the lasagnas that came in from these families, I mean, by the time we got to the end of the night, Mm-hmm. All, all the chefs that I, I, I worked with at that point were like, thank you for, thank you for doing that. Because this right? was definitely a better, a better idea. Right. Like that and, lasagna was oh, lasagna to the right and enchiladas now to the left. Exactly. It looks like lasagna. You know, there was one family that brought in a complete raw vegan lasagna. Nice. And, you know, and when you look at, and I think what was really what really set people uh, uh, on their heels a little bit was the fact that they un- they understood or they thought they understood the community that they were working in. They had a perception of North Philadelphia that most people have. And when they saw those lasagnas come in and they saw those families come, because at first they were just going to taste them, judge them and move on. And then it was like, these are really interesting lasagnas. They wanted to know more like most chefs do. Like, tell me the history of this dish. Tell me the story behind it. And so they eventually right. had all of the, the finalists talk about their lasagnas and like, why did you make it this way? And what inspired exactly. you? Exactly. And, and that's how it should be. Yes. Exactly. It was just, this is what we did. Or this is how we would make it at home. Right. Exactly. It was such a rich experience for everyone. And there was just so much pride in the room. And the woman who won her story was so touching because she came in and everybody was like, well, tell us about your lasagna. And she's like, I, I, I'm a mother who works full time. My son, I, I have my son in summer camp right now because I mean, you know, she's at work and she needs a place for him to be all day. And she's like, he's usually at an, in an after school program and we don't get to spend very much time together. And I'm always looking for mm-hmm. new ways to spend time. And so he, she's like, he came home and was so excited about this lasagna and he kept bugging me and bugging me and bugging me. So finally I was like, okay, we'll do it. And she's like, I thought we were going to just do something real quick and real fast, but he, we got into the grocery store and the baby just went in, in the grocery store. <laughs> and like, can we do this? Can we do this? And his mom was like, okay, this is not going to be one of those. And she said, right. we got a little stewie over here. Yeah. Okay. He was doing it. And so she said, you know, she got through the rest of the story and she said at the very end, she was like, thank you for giving me time with my son. And of course, at that point, there wasn't a dry eye in the room. And because you just didn't understand, like this little simple act of making lasagna together gave this woman four hours with her son that she normally does not get to have. You know, so I was just... I I completely get that experience. Um, I had that experience uh, yesterday. So um, during the time I was working with at-risk youth, um, I actually wrote a curriculum for uh, junior college uh, in partnership with a, a workforce development um, organization. And 
the junior college picked it up. So I started teaching uh, culinary art in the evening for this college. And from that, that's how I got on the education side, because there's so many doors as far as hospitality and culinary that we don't even know exist. You know, it's not until you start shaking hands and and networking and being in new circles where it's like, and if, if you don't have a hustle mentality, it might not even open up for you because half of it is sitting at home like, oh, hold on, I just met this and there was a kitchen there or that was an antique shop with a kitchen or that was a church with a kitchen or this organization where it's like, wow, I wonder where they get their funding from. You know, do they have funding? Can we get funding? And I started after the college, I actually realized there's a lot out here as a chef that I can do other than work in kitchens. And I I knew, I don't know, at, at some point, growing up, I never saw myself on a job. Like I knew I would have jobs because I've had many jobs, but I never saw myself like after 20 years, I'm going to get that plaque or after 30 years, I'm going to get that retirement watch. I have my mother on one side who was strictly retired after 25, 27 years. My father on the other side who was strictly entrepreneur, hustler, got up for 4 a.m., legit hustler, 4 a.m., worked until it was time to come in for dinner, did whatever he did, wrote his notes, made a lot, went back out for an hour, came back in. So it was like I saw two different sides of, hey, I can do this, I can do this. So I knew how to do both. But it's magnificent when you realize, hey, it's a way for me to do something else. And what I did when I left, I was like, hey, you know what? Right now, every corporation that I had worked for had said that I had raised their percentages. So at one point I was like, okay, well, I need to write percentages into my contract. Okay, if I keep your food costs down here, let me get a certain percentage of, I just knocked 20% off of your yearly, your annual food costs. But after a while, when I'm having these reviews and they're like, oh, before you came, we didn't even have, you know, really have a catering department and our revenue just came up 70%. And I'm sitting in these reviews where I'm like, wow, I didn't get a dime of that. I didn't get a penny of that. And all of a sudden I just realized I went on vacation and I was like, if I can do this for them, and this is like the third or fourth corporation where I've been a, a sous chef or executive chef or a corporate chef, it's time to go and see what I can do for myself. So when I, I walked, I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this. And I really didn't know what was next. I just knew it was time. And if anything fell, that's always there. It's on my resume, I can go back, I can still jump in. But it was really wonderful to realize oh, wow, here's a nonprofit here, or here's an organization here, or hmm, Uber, maybe Uber has a kitchen. Maybe they want to do team building. There's so many ways to hustle with food because food is like this common denominator where no matter what, everybody has this a, a, a wonderful, a beautiful story around food. Oh, my grandma did this. My aunt did this. It was one Christmas where we only had beans and rice, or it was one Christmas where we flew to Paris and we just this, no matter what, you have that common denominator around food. And there's so many ways to hustle from it. It's true. And that idea of um, not necessarily following the traditional like food career trajectory that most people believe is the only way, the only path you can take. I remember 
when I first started and it was, I was in a few restaurants and you do, you love them because it's in you. It's, it's the thing you, that you feel at home in the kitchen, kind of losing your whole mind sometimes. And at some point though, I was my, it was my curiosity that made me go, what else can I do with my experience? What else can I do with my food education? What else can be done with this knowledge base? Because you don't see it. You don't see anyone promoting things outside the restaurant and or outside of restaurant life. And so I intentionally for a year just started looking for jobs that were kind of left the center for a, for a while. Like I, I spent a couple of years um, managing a, a kitchen for a private, um, a private camp outside of Anacortes in Washington. And then my work with the Vetri Foundation. And then, you know, um, we're teaching classes for the Viking cooking school. Like I just did some really odd I guess, you know, based on, you know, what we traditionally should be doing is I just did some outside things. And so when I finally started having um, kids come in who wanted to work in food and they were stodging or they were interns, we would have conversations about that. And they were like, yeah, I want to, yeah, I was like, do you know what you want to do yet? And, you know, the first response, well, I just want to be a chef. I'm like, okay, there's a, a structure to that in order to right, that right. title. Is that what, you, is that the place you want to live? Is that the place you want to work in? Because, you know, that kind of work asks for everything. And so, you know, a, a lot of chefs you'll meet are not the happiest people. They've given up a lot to do the thing that they love to do. Um, they, their families have suffered on occasion, you know, so there's just a lot of things that go with it that you sacrifice in order to have that life. I was like, you do, you know, I'm like, I used to tell them, let me offer you this one little bit of information that a food education opens more doors than restaurant ones. And if you are looking to, if, if you love food, you have a lot of talent and you love to feed people, but working in a restaurant is not for you. Don't count yourself out because there are so many places that yeah. people in leadership where food is being served, hospitals and uh, community centers and senior centers and, you know, all types of places are looking, are feed people. And so, I, you know, I, one young lady, she came to me after the summer and she was just like, thank you so much because I didn't even think about that. She's like, I love food. I love to cook, but I didn't want to work in a restaurant. So I just didn't know what to do. And I went there. Right. So many opportunities out there. And for me specifically as black women, we have an opportunity because we do stand out anyway that we can put ourselves in these spaces where people aren't familiar with chefs existing. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And it's kind of like now it's like, cause we're already odd. <laughs> Essentially you're already Absolutely. Thank you. always the <laughs> only black woman in a space anyway. So why not use that to our advantage and put a spotlight on places that really do need food professionals. Um, you know, there, I would say, well, there are places in government, there are, you know, um, organizations that provide food to communities, whether it be grocery stores or community centers or soup kitchens, all of those places need creative, professional culinary minds. And to be able to insert ourselves into the conversation of, of food overall, especially the places where for me, like restaurant, restaurants are great. They are an experience that you usually have one time um, or one at a time, whereas a soup kitchen feeds an entire community of people. So when you weigh those two things and you look at the balance of those, yeah, I'm going to go in, I'm going to pay, you know, I'm going to drop some money for a really cool dish or for a really great experience. At the same time, when I look at how much more important it is to make sure that a community, a homeless population has an opportunity to have a hot meal with respect and dignity, 
what's the what, what's the value trade off there? And so for me, I think we can black women can in, in these spaces can actually lead conversations about how much bigger food is than restaurants. <laughs> it's just like I love and, restaurants. And it is. I mean, there, there's so much there. And I, actually, I mean, I absolutely and, and sometimes, you know, There you go. So now you can just okay. There, there we go. Uh-huh. There we go. So, uh, so when when I left the social services, I, I loved it so much. Uh, but also at that time, that was a, a training restaurant. I knew I didn't want to have that much of a, a gap on my my uh, resume. And I was like, okay, I, I know I'm, you know, I'm fine dining. I know I'm molecular gastronomy. Like I know I have to get back out here. So what I figured out was with me working through some colleges and some organizations, um, I started my underground supper club. And within a couple months, even before I knew what I wanted to do, I just didn't know how that was going to work. But I was like, if there is someone that is ready that I train, I'm going to start hiring the people that have went through my program. And this is how I'm actually going to create sustainability because people talk about sustainability all the time. But for me, I say, Hey, you know what? I'm an educator. I'm a farmer. So if I can teach you how to grow or I can teach you how to cut, I can teach you how to serve. I can teach you etiquette. Um, I can teach you how to set up anything, be it a buffet or uh, a fine dining table or, hey, how do we pour wine? Where do we serve from? Where do we remove from? And I can teach you that. That means that I'm hiring from the community. That means that we're, we're straight employing from the community. That also means that I'm putting or whoever got that money, I'm paying you and you're letting the dollar circulate. So you're putting that money right back into the community. And for me, that that's complete sustainability. We're like, we hire from the community, we train in the community, we keep the money in the community. Um, so I did do that. Um, I think we're two years in right now, a little more, actually more than two years. And my very first college student, uh, I hired him. He's been with me the whole time. He also has his full-time job, uh, but no matter what, he's got keys to everything. He knows how to set it up. Totally incredible. And it, it's, it's just been a beautiful journey because right now the underground dining scene is like so, so beautiful where people don't know where it is. People are like buying the tickets for it. And when they show up and they see my crew, they're in disbelief. You know, if you notice on my Instagram, there's not very many pictures of me. You will see some hands. But a lot of people come out and they have no idea. They've read about it or it's word, word of mouth. And they come out and then you have the Samaye who's black. You have the front of the house. They're, they're drove in, in bow ties and greeting and pouring greeting drinks. And then you have this whole young black kitchen staff. And these plates are going out and you're like, whoa. Who did that? How did you do that? I mean, I've, I've literally had guests show up and after like the third, fourth, fifth course, I'll go out to introduce a course and they're literally like, wow, we're like in a, a $6 million uh, place right now. Like, do, do, the, do people know that you're in here? And it's like the funniest shit in the world to me. And I'm like, of course they don't know. Like, no, we, we jacked the building like 
the owners are outside and are, are out on vacation. They're in Paris right now. You know, we just came in through the windows. It's no fun if they know. And then everybody is like stone faced looking at me. Like, is she serious right now? But they come down and it's the most incredible meal. But uh, I don't have a black clientele. I have a, probably my demographic are, are uh, Caucasians. Bless the Caucasian people. Hey, my white brothers and sisters. You know? Yeah. and over. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and, very, yeah. and very well versed, versed in food. You know, they're willing. When I started, I was charging $65 for, for six courses. And everybody would like, was like, you're nuts. How can you do that? And I was like, I have to do it just to jump it off, just for people to actually come. And now it's, you know, it's double that, sometimes triple that, depending on where the food is coming from. Summertime, if it's farm to fork, so it's more expensive in the winter because uh, we're still trying to stay locally sourced. But uh, my team is beautiful. It is always, I mean, it's a conversation that pops up in a few, in the last few interviews I've done and something I think about definitely um, more times than not is this, that <laughs> the idea of the Black client, the black customer, and what is it that we really need to do as a community to shift our perceptions of each other in the, in our discourse around commerce and value? Because, you know, if you follow a lot of, you know, black Twitter or some, you know, black Instagram pages and things like that, and you see this, almost this plea for black people to purchase items from black owned businesses to go to black. I'm just like, what? And I'm like, so what is it? Because white, white communities don't have to do that. They are not trying to talk white people into using Uber. They ain't trying to talk white people into going to Target. (laughs) They don't have to convince each other to do these things. They just, you know, and I'm just like, what, what do we need? How does this conversation need to shift? How do we shift it? Because that, you know, I know systematic oppression is real. Girl, I was about you to know, say, like, I know it, part of it is the programming. Is that slavery? Right. You know, systematic oppression, the programming of it real. Desegregation for our communities, that hurts. Yeah. it's, it's You know, it's like the minute I can go because it's it's been like, uh, beware. It's it's like that, that little carrot that's that's dangling on the cartoon and it's saying, no, you can't have this. And the minute that you can, I'm going to step outside and I'm going to go over there because I've been here. I know what this is, but keeping that dollar in our community. Whoa. And when we, when we figure it collectively, the, the power that's involved in that, but there has to be, I mean, we have to just continuously have these conversations and we could talk about equity as much as you want to, but equity is actually meaning there are 12 tables at the 12 chairs at the table and there's somewhere for me to sit. But if there are 12 tables and there are 12 chairs and they're already filled up, there is no equity because it's nowhere for me to get in that. So with our own communities, yes, we can, but it's also prioritizing where we spend our money and how we keep our growth because I've never bought a pair of Jordans in my life. I bought a lot of Gucci. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I usually work for Saks Fifth Avenue, so yeah. you know, I've I've bought a lot of designer stuff, but but spiritually, that's no longer where I am. And right. I think as we evolve and as we evolve collectively, and and have some real conversations, and sometimes turn off technology and turn off TV and sit in a circle and yeah. say, how can I help you? 
you know, yeah. by any means, how can I help you? You know, how do I, when I see that black person has a t-shirt, you don't have to know, Hey, I'm going to get that t-shirt just because it doesn't matter if it's $9. I got $9 and I got you. I don't care where you are. Um, that's really, that's really big. Um, but it, it's, it, it seems as though it's, it's going to take more time, obviously. Yeah. And I you know, know there's like conversations around value that, or adding value that we definitely need to have and quality and quality control. And, you know, and I understand that, you know, we've come from a place where we were always making do. And so the value propositions and the amount of the, the level of quality that sometimes we have had to produce in order to move forward has not always been to the highest standard because we did what we could with what we had. But now that we have a tremendous amount of yes. technology and resource, those are not excuses anymore for either side. You can't use yes. the excuse that, well, I can't find, you know, high quality hair products from a black owned business. That ain't, that ain't That's even the truth. truth. Don't come over here with that lie. And then, like, you know, on. we, we like, buy seriously, come on. And I'm like, so you, so <laughs> and, and, you know, and when I have these conversations, the first thing I kick back is so, out of all the products you've seen in the hair aisle, which ones are you buying and how are you evaluating their quality? Most people, I'm like, so tell me, so, cause you, you will sit in the, uh, in the aisle at the target with all the, with the three black owned hair products and peel over the ingredients list. And then the minute you see coconut oil, put that thing back on the shelf, but then you will walk to the next aisle and not even look at the label. You won't even flip it on, flip it over and look at the ingredients Correct. list. You Correct. just look at the, the name and be like, okay, yeah, I trust it. And I'm like, so tell me what that brand has done to deserve or earn your trust outside of just being a, an anonymous brand to you. And I think that was the other conversation I typically have with people is that because white is the default, they can be, they can be in the background and you forget that those dollars don't come back to your community because they go into the default community. And because you have to be very mindful when you are, you know, making a purchase that, wait a minute, where are these dollars really going? And I have to purchase, you have to purchase something in order to help a company build value in the first place. Most of the brands that people support and love and are committed to that are not black brands, it, you had to use a product from them for the first time. Someone had to talk you in there. Yes. Yep. So what did that conversation look like for you? And why don't you apply those same parameters to black owned businesses? It seems that while we have a, while we struggle and we push back against this idea that black has to be the other and that we have to meet certain quality standards for us to be considered legitimate, we do, we do ourselves the same disservice person to person. Well, if I'm going to do all of that with them, then they got to meet this list of requirements. And you're just like, but you don't hold anyone else to that standard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I help me understand, yeah. like there's, you know, there's a black, there's quite a few like black owned cell phone companies now. No one wants to buy a cell phone from them. And if they do buy one, they're like, well, I don't like their customer service. I'm like, you ain't liked AT&T's customer service for 25 years now, but you still got a phone. So don't talk that's to me. Right. Okay. Like, like that's right. That, this, that's the truth. So it's like this double standard. I think, I think this is why we end up in conversations around food and wine where you don't have Michelin starred black owned fine dining restaurants in the same numbers as, you know, other restaurants is because it's like, well, first of all, our expectation is if you're black, you shouldn't be cooking that stuff anyway. You know, we hold each, we hold ourselves to a, a, a we put ourselves on a that one. Okay, you, you put yourself on a corner. Yeah, it's like, well, that one because people are like, uh, 
do you know how to cook soul food? I'm like, you funny. You real funny about that. <laughs> like, okay. like you funny. Like that. That's like you know pouring pouring milk and Cheerios, of course. But what's next? Right. You know, like can, so, can I, go can to I the market and, and just create? You know, can can I evolve? You know, can, right. can you know being human is hard. Can I can I just be human? Can right. I just hey I want I want to try something new? Like oh okay, how many how many types of perfume do you have? in your bedroom, you know, how many on your dresser, you know, is it just one or did you say, oh, I like this one, but I want to try this too. Oh, I kind of like this. I'm going to try this. You might not use it. You, you might've liked it that day, but you know, Hey, it's about growth and it's, you know, it's about personal. And for me, it's a lot of spiritual growth. It's like, I, I just, oh, yeah. I want to move. I want to evolve. I want to feel all of it. So it's like, if I see it, I don't care. I will dissect it, decompose it, deconstruct it. I'm like, okay, what's this? Oh, I saw this. I don't even have menus. You know, people are like, hey, we're doing a wedding or hey, we're having an event. Can you shoot me something? I'm like, nope. I want to hear about you and your wife or your partner. I want to know what you like, what you hate, what you love. And then I'm going to flip all of that. Like, it, it, can't, it can't be the same all the time. So, yeah, we, we got to be ready to grow and just and just go. Exactly. I just I, I'm looking forward to the day where people remember, especially our people remember that Africa is global. It's a continent, one of the largest, and it's it's a we in you, um, you know, being part of you know that historical like slave conversation. People forget that you're you're global. The color of your skin is global. There are more brown people in the world. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's there's this idea. I mean, the, the obvious is. If you're light, you have to come from dark. It doesn't go the opposite way. It doesn't go the opposite way. Okay. I mean, and science and history and archaeology, all of that tells you that the cradle of life is from one place in the, in the on the globe, which tells you that, you know, your DNA is global. And for us as African-Americans specifically, to really start to embrace the fact that we are a global people. And it's okay yes. that, you know, we can, we, you can like other things and you can speak other languages and you can do things that are outside of what we consider a cultural norm because we come from everywhere. So it's not, it's not um, blasphemous <laughs> to, to go outside of right. what we consider, you know, right. the, the religion of, of being black in this country. And, um, you know, so I'm, I'm really just looking forward to that one. I, I thought, you know, once Black Panther came out, I thought we was getting a small taste of that. There was a small window <laughs> of people remembering <laughs> Like, oh, wait a minute, we can be everywhere. Okay, you're right, you're right. You know, it lasted far far uh, longer than I thought. You know, it was like, okay, it was still, I still got people saying we're kind of forever, but you I know, mean, it look, dies down fast, I'm you know. Like, whatever you have, I think what they did was they were like, we're going to give the, we're going to do this and then we're going to put Lion King out and hopefully you know, <laughs> it, it, can, it sustains some energy to the next one. And I just, I'm like, I'm just waiting for that fire to catch for, you know, Black people to remember, like, we're global. You know, they had to put you on a yeah. boat. They had to put you on a boat to get here. That says Thanks. everything. <laughs> Drop phone on floor. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Know. Thank you. They, yeah, you didn't walk over. You didn't. You didn't catch the bus from up the block around the corner and on the hook. You know, it's not by the cul-de-sac. You, you had okay. to get here. Uh, a lot of that. A lot of it is. So much of it is travel. You know, I, I think one of the ways we do travel so easily or frequently is, is via food. You know, if you go somewhere else and try something that you haven't tried, now all of a sudden, I, I just ate Vietnamese food. Where, where is Vietnam? Where is Vietnam? <laughs> like, like, is that Southeast 
Asia. Now I'm on like, okay, Google, where is Vietnam? You know, it's like, you know, Absolutely. it's like now it's, it's opening my mind a, a little bit more. You know, it's like, okay, a lot of it is, is travel. A lot of it, because being in America, there it's like we, we are in a box where everybody thinks America is just it. And once you get outside, even one time, that's it. It's over. You understand. I mean, people like we are, we're, we're prized possessions everywhere. You know, there are people that look like us with the straightest hair, with the curliest hair, no matter what. I mean, you, you just see the mixture, you know. Yeah. And it's, it's like a kaleidoscope. To introduce the world to, to children specifically is through food. It's a, such an easy doorway. Oh, absolutely. To have, that's it. Just be curious Hands about down. what the rest of the world looks like through a plate of food. So, Hands now, down. That's it. That's the easiest way to travel. Okay. And it's like, it's, it's so cheap. I, mean, we were, I think about my mom taking me to these restaurants at 12. And I remember that every two weeks we were going somewhere. But as a child, we, I never had a vacation. My mom just didn't have the money for that. I never, there was no Disneyland. There was no, oh, we're going to Mexico or Jamaica. We traveled through food, flat out. That was it. We went to Canada because it was, it was right there. But outside of that, there wasn't any airplane ride. We're going somewhere for two hours or three hours and we're going to stay for a week. That just wasn't on our radar. But food, food took me everywhere. I was stuck on you through food. We'll go to a lot of countries. It's true. And, it's, you know, to this day, like if I really get curious about a place and I don't, you know, I don't have access to, um, you know, airfare at that point, I'll just go go into, you know, find myself in a in a, a world of cookbooks and just reading about their about the cuisine. And it just really instantly transports you so quickly into the space. And so, like, by the time you do get to physically travel into these places, you have such a level of respect Absolutely. for the culture yep. that, you know, and that's really something I also that is such the magic of food and the and the the spirit behind eating and sharing a meal that I wish we did better at recognizing. I think it's just unfortunately like you know as, as people have spent less and less time eating together, the value of that transaction has kind of hit has been hidden away. And like the minute you have a really great meal with someone it comes flooding back you walk away from that dinner or that lunch or that brunch and you don't stop talking about it half the time you don't even remember what you ate but you remember the energy you remember the connection you remember the the exchange and so I'm, i'm really i'm always a fan of like underground dinners supper clubs and things like that because it reminds adults specifically that eating together or sharing a meal together is so important and it's something, you know, eating together is something that every species will do in their lifetime. Yes. And so as human yes. beings to discount its value for me has always been troublesome. And I'm just like, I'm, you know, I love I love seeing the, the resurrection like of, of family meals and like family meal style restaurants and community style restaurants yep. where you can sit down yep. and eat at a table with a stranger. Like I'm loving that that starting to make its way back because I think it's just an important part of being social and it's also a, a key way to be civil i think the reason why we're so uncivilized to each other right now is because we don't eat together yeah absolutely absolutely it's, it's like i'm here yeah i'm in my own stall just like i was in the office and yeah i'm in my cubicle and i don't have to see you and you know what you just said uh as far as the communal dining i remember 
my very my very first underground dinner and I was a I was a wreck and the theme was Josephine Baker and it was Jada Amores, which is my two loves. So I was talking about two different cities and I wanted to mix French cuisine with soul. With I don't and I don't even want to say soul, I wanna say black southern food where, you know, like okay, I'm gonna talk about okra, I'm gonna talk about just different things that we probably ate or our great grandparents ate that have trickled down to us. And I remember um Jewish, one of my one of my coolest partners that that helped me kick off when I first started my my underground dining. Uh, she came into the kitchen and she was like, uh, "Chef." <laughs> she was like, <laughs> "She was like, Chef." Uh, there's a woman out here, and uh, she and her husband. But the woman pulled me aside, and she doesn't want to. She wants to know if they can have their own table. And I was like, hell no. She was like, what did you say? I said, hell no. I was so color purple. I'm from about like, very small. no. I'm like, I was I like, absolutely. Love. Like, absolutely not. <laughs> so I said, look, you know, it says it's communal dining. They're going to have to vibe with the rest of everyone. And uh, some media came out that first night. And I was like, I was a nervous wreck. And my whole team, it was like our first time working together. And the front of the house was in the front of the house. And I guess she was like, okay. And it was perfect because, you know, she was Jewish, white girl. It was cool for her to go out here and talk to this woman and say, no, you're going to have a good time. It's communal dining. The table is set. We can't break anything apart. You know, that stuff over there doesn't even have tablecloths or flowers or anything on it. And it was amazing to see because within, we do six courses within the second course, they were loosening up. I'm sure wine was involved because, you know, we, we do pair. Uh, by the fourth course, everyone was talking. And I, I remember watching the video and I was like, oh, this is everything. Uh, and by the sixth course, she was, they were exchanging Facebook information. So it was like really beautiful to see this. Now, this woman, this was two years ago. And I mean, I was like, she is nuts. But this woman has sponsored like three of my dinners now, you know, she'll, she'll post everything. She has a, a crazy business. Uh, they were the next big thing, her and her husband. But, um, well, I remember when I saw the tickets, I was like, the next big thing is coming to my dinner. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> and now they have a, a, another company and, you know, they, they sponsored items for swag bags, but it was really interesting that she didn't, she didn't want any parts of it. But after she sat there and had the experience, you know, your husband, come on. You know, your boyfriend, we, we're in a house all day. It's not like, what did I do? What did you do? We already know. So to sit down with other people and talk about what they did or where they work or where they hang out, where do you go to eat? It was really wonderful. Wow. And I, every time I see her now, I think about that. Like, yeah, I remember I've never said anything, of course. But I remember when you wanted a separate table at the community mm. dining event. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Just like, look, trust so me on this one. Right there, like, I assess you at your own table. Good luck with that. Ooh, oh, nope, 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 not here. They can do that somewhere right. else, but not here tonight. Oh, um, like, no, not tonight, babe. Oh, wow. Well, look, see me, look at me going over by like 20 minutes. Anyway, see, because we never talk that. That's all that is. It's like, hey, what's up? You know, we're here. Hey, how you doing? Thank you so much. I am, I decided to introduce bonus content. Um, over the okay. coming weeks. And so what will probably happen is I'll, I'll do my normal hour. And then with the, like this extra content here, what I'll probably do is just in the next week, cut it and like add it as bonus content. 
Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Way, you know, people here for me and my big laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I just fell out thinking about that lady. Uh, can we get our own table? Hell no, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Do you see anybody else? <laughs> oh, like, Oprah Winfrey, like, what did you say? I said, hell no. <laughs> I'm just like, no, that's not what we're doing here tonight. Um, If that's what you wanted to do, there are a lot of other options. But not. Yeah, not tonight. We We don't do refunds, lady, no. Help me. So what do we, What? how can the community of listeners support you and what do you have coming up for people who live in Chicago and want to support or partake? Um, just to kind of give, give us a little bit of that tea on, um, you know, what you're, what you're okay. up to. That's it. So we are, oh my goodness, I say we, like all of these people are decision making. I am coming, this fall is going to be the craziest locations as far as underground dining. Uh, we've got some sponsors that are coming out. We, I mean, we give out swag bags that are like very, very nice on top of what we do. There are going to be a lot of new dining experiences. We're going full throttle. Um, check us out at Piercy Masi's Oteo. If you can't figure it out, that's Ghetto Sesame Street backwards. Uh, and, and, and that's what we're doing. Um, Stay tuned in. Everything is is jumping up very quickly. Like we're at the end of this season for our farming and for our culinary. So uh, the fall and winter, everybody needs something to do in Chicago. It's cold. The only thing you want to do is go out. It's like, hey, we want to go out and eat. So we're prepared for it. Stay tuned. It's coming. There are a few things, three things that are coming up, which we can't even speak on right now, but you're going to see them. so, So stay tuned. All right now, y'all. So you heard it. Um, is what's the best way to kind of keep up and to check in on you? Facebook, Instagram, all the all the other good stuff. So Facebook and Instagram. Uh, there's a sign up on both. The Instagram will connect you to the Facebook. All you have to do is sign up. Once you sign up, we do a lot of private events through the winter that we don't even get a chance to to post um, on social media because they come so fast. So we give away free tickets on Facebook. So if you have not followed us on Facebook, make sure you do because we give away two tickets for every dinner. So you might be missing out if you're just following us on Instagram. Okay, so y'all heard it. Um, don't act like you. She ain't tell you. Um, and then you know, be real new, brand new about it. Like, oh, I didn't know she gave away tickets. Yes, she did. You heard her say it. Yes, so, she did. <laughs> she Somebody did. be like, "Where did you go? Her what happened? It. What did you do? Oh, I didn't even pay for those tickets. Oh, you got three hundred dollars worth of tickets. Come on, yeah, Stop playing. You want to yes. eat good? Bring a friend." <laughs> well, thank you so much. I mean, this season has been such. Um, I mean, it's just been so rich and and like heart filling. And like every time I have a different conversation, each her each woman has really just shifted my perspective about something or reengaged some passion about a topic, um, as well as just cemented the idea that, you know, the way I'm seeing the world is not wholly inaccurate <laughs> and um, I'm not absolutely right. crazy. And um, so I am like, we are. you know, I'm like, we this is what this is actually happening in the world right now. And I'm not just making it up it in my imagination, um, which, <laughs> be, which is such a huge part of like, I was with my ass, a completely different conversation, but that's such a huge part of the conversation about like bias and and prejudice and all the other conversations we need to have around race is that this concept that just because it's not happening to you means it's not real like that one in and of itself lord help my life and have you out here tripping thinking wait a minute well is maybe it's not real and it's like no it is (laughs) is. well when you're sitting at my dinner table enjoying your food 
the food that I made with both of your jaws full and you're asking do the owners of the facility know that I'm even in here, it's happening. See, like, that's, come on. Like, really? Your lips, your lips are all greasy. It's happening. <laughs> I'm like, all right, and I'm, I'm acting stupid. I'm like, no, they don't know we're here. They're in vacation for the next three months. You see those windows? We come through there. We set up. That's why it's underground. Of course no one knows. And then everyone at the table is looking like, is she serious? It's happening. Really? Yeah, it's happening. Oh, my whole life. So, well, sit down with somebody you haven't had dinner with. Share a meal, have a great conversation, get to know somebody you wouldn't normally die with, enjoy life the way it's supposed to be enjoyed via food. See, and with that, I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to add nothing to that, y'all. You're going to take all that information wisdom and you're going to live your best lives. So, yes, thank That's you it. again. Um, I'm sure thank this you. conversation will so have much. a... I truly appreciate it. I'm sure this conversation will have a part two at some point, like most of the ones I've had this season, because we just, we were, I was like, well, like, once you get to the hour yeah. mark, it's like, well, this is just getting good. But, you know, yeah, you know, I, uh, yeah I, I was listening to him like, oh my God, I love this. So, <laughs> thank you for giving us a platform you are a trendsetter, a tastemaker, an innovator, and I truly appreciate it because I've been in awe of every single sister that I've heard on this podcast. So thank you. I, I that that means so much to me, and I'm I'm just like I just love letting you ladies shine. I think people, the world is definitely going to um, stand up and take notice and go. Wait a minute, okay. we need to bravo. We need to make us some room <laughs> so these ladies can yeah. do the work. So yeah, so we will we will keep up. Ladies and gentlemen, again, if you live in Chicago, y'all, y'all don't play yourselves. You better get on Chef this Facebook. Get on this Facebook, get on this Instagram, and get yourself in front of a plate of food because, you That's know, it. the minute she blow up and you can't get a table, I don't want to hear anything. I don't want to hear from nobody about it. <laughs> I don't want to hear any saltiness. When the, when the whole thing goes global, I don't talk to me about the fact that you can't get a table somewhere. That's, that's a wrap. So do this now. So you can talk about it like, hey, I was eating there when she I had a meal from her when. And now, you know, I, it's a three year. That's week. right. And I'm so, loyal. I love all those people that can say that. Absolutely. So thank you for listening in on this week's conversation with Chef Q. And thank you for your continued support. If this is your first time listening in on the Afros and Knife podcast, welcome to a community of thoughtful, ambitious and informed listeners. I love to share the stories and experiences of inspiring and passionate women. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to leave a comment wherever you podcast or on the episode feature page at www.afrosandknives.com. Become an Afros and Knives insider and get the official podcast calendar, exclusive discounts, and exclusive content. And don't forget to purchase an official season one t-shirt on the In the Afros and Knives store and continue the celebration. Thank you.